You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Our mission is to bring the hope of Jesus to Jaffrey and beyond. We are here to know Christ, grow in Christ, and serve others. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Everyone hopes for something. It's an inherent part of being a human being. Believing that good things will happen with faith in a higher power. We'll look at the definition of biblical hope, a confident expectation, a sure anchor, a promise of a future, ultimately eternity spent with our Lord. But first, we must understand that none of this exists without God. That is the reason we must know him in order to grow in that knowledge in order to be empowered to be able to serve him out of the love we have for him because he's first loved us. In Job 8.13, we hear Job's friend, we may even call it poor counsel, but verse 13, we find some truth and a warning. And it says, such are paths of all who forget God, the hope of the godless shall perish. So it's reminding us, those who forget God are without hope. The further that we get away from that relationship with our Lord, with God, the less hope we have. Right? We feel the anxiety well up. We feel the fear well up. We start stumbling around. There's no, the lack of vision, lack of goals, lack of hope. The most hopeful people walk in a closer relationship with God. And the more our life is filled with hope, the closer, the, as we become closer and closer with our Lord, through his word, through this fellowship, through just being aware of his presence and listening and being obedient. The most, again, hopeful people are closer to God and the most hopeless people are far from God. I'm sure that you've noticed that a lot of people put their hope in a lot of other things. As one example, a lot of people put their hope in politics who we put in the White House, who we elect as our president, right? And I want to remind myself and each one of us that our hope does not lie in the man that we put in the White House. Our hope relies in the man that we put on the cross. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. He's not our savior. He may be Republican. He may be Democrat. He may be leading well. He may be leading poorly, right? He may even be a believer in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that the Lord tells us that he's not there other than that he's allowed him to be. But one thing for sure is he will fail you. And you will be disappointed because he's human and not our Savior. The other thing I've noticed is that people that are trying to walk out and live their life denying that there's a God, right? That they don't have any higher power to trust in, to hang on to, 
to believe that change can come from. So they put that trust in, that, in the government, in their president, right? They can't think of a higher power that would be able to bring the change to the problems in this world that they're looking for and desiring. Yet we happen to know the one that can, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope in any lesser power will lead to disappointment. Proverbs 13, 12, and 13 reminds us that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever despises the word brings destruction upon himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Just like in Job, those who forget God have no hope. It makes the hope deferred, hope that isn't realized, right, makes us sick. And when we become sick, there's that downward spiral of, of but yet when we continue to revere the commandment, revere what God has done, right, there's a reward on that. So this is what, so, so what is this hope? I, I put it as a question. What is this hope that is lost? Well, we can look at hope as a lot of things and, and even can confuse it with optimism. While there's nothing wrong with being an optimist, certainly being an optimist is far better than being a pessimist. Yet optimism alone will not be able to change the world. For this reason, we don't say, optimism is here, right? We're wishful. It, it's, it's, a, it's with our great attitude, even though hope comes and brings a great attitude. We say hope is here. But ultimately, in this message, what I want to reveal is it's not even hope, it's God is here. It's presence is here. So you and I can be optimistic, can be excited about maybe, maybe there'll be some change. Maybe it's a family member, a loved one that is struggling, that, that we want to see change happen, right? And while it may be a better attitude than a negative one, right, there's no power of change to change those things that are outside of our control. Another thing that just being optimistic is says is, it's not as bad as you think. Hope says, it's bad. It's bad. It's, it's really, really bad. It's probably as bad as it can get. Right? But I believe. I still believe, and there's hope that I can accomplish this because of what Jesus Christ has done. Right? Optimism denies that reality. You've just got news of sickness. It's cancer. Right? That can, we, we know how horrible and terrible that disease, a disease of cancer is. And optimism may say, well, it's not going to be that bad. Right? Hope's going to say, yeah, this is bad. This is going to be a long haul. It's going to be a battle, but we can overcome through the power in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
as we continue to think on hope and the several types of hope, I grabbed a few of them, and it's wishful hope or expectant hope and a certain hope. Right? We can wish. Maybe it's, you know, I wish I won the megabucks, the lottery. We'd hit the lottery. Imagine what that could do for the kingdom. Right? All the things that we could do and bless people and everything else. Well, you've heard it before, but you have over two times of a better chance to be struck by lightning. So you can be dead and join the kingdom long before you could win the megabucks and, and be able to bless the kingdom. It's, it's not a wishful hope that we have. On the topic of expectant hope, right, there's some basis of truth to that. Right? You can, we can go and till the ground and plant the garden and, and there's a basis of truth that there's, we can expect that the fruit, the, the, the plant will rise up and it'll bear fruit. And yet there's a, there's a tilling of, and t- tending and taking care of that garden to be able to accomplish that. And even in our own lives, right? If we try to do that work that, Christ, that, that, that is Christ's alone to be done, we can go and try to prop up all these good things in our life and expect good results out of it. And there's a possibility that we can have some good results out of that type of effort. We think of all the children here. There's been many expecting mothers that were able to deliver healthy and well children. Right? So it's very real to expect that there's hope that this child will be born. Yet we know in, in each of us have experience, right? It's been touched in some ways of a stillborn in our life or a, or a plant that hasn't produced fruit. So it's not a sure hope is the whole point of that example. And then we have a certain hope. Hope that we can be sure of, a hope that you can build your life on. Hebrews 16, 19, and 20 reminds us that we have a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. An anchor keeps the boat from drifting. It's easy to drift in life. The word of life warns us of all the distractions that come in and cause us to turn and to to drift, right? And even as that boat, the wind may try to turn and drift it, but when that anchor is holding it, it holds. The wind doesn't stop blowing, right? The temptations don't keep coming, but do we have an anchor that holds? That anchor also stabilizes us when the storms come. This word promises us that in this life, there will be trouble, right? But I have overcome, right, so that we can be victorious. When the storms come, right, we have a hope that stabilizes, that allows us to endure, that holds us strong until that storm passes, 
We don't have to turn to the bottle. We don't have to turn to medication. We don't have to say, oh, only if others would come into my life like they go into those. Even though God can use all of these as their instruments to be able to encourage us to get, be able to get through, they cannot and will not be able to be that anchor for my soul. In this text also, hope enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We have direct access to God. Luke 18, 1 reminds us of the parable of the persistent widow and teaches us, saying, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart or lose hope. We have direct access to the high priest, Jesus Christ. Pray, pray. And when those prayers are answered, praise. Continue to build on that relationship that he has opened that door to. And there there will be several events in our life that will cause us to drift and be storms that we'll have to to endure that will bring us to our knees. We will experience the causes of hopelessness. I wrote down a few. You'll feel alone and abandoned. Right? The enemy wants us to, to be in no better place to be feeling alone and abandoned. When we say hope is here, it's a body of Jesus Christ bringing all of our talents together to shore up, to encourage, to build up, to pick up one another. Don't believe the lies that I'm alone. I've been abandoned. That God doesn't care. That the people don't care. How about life's out of control? There, there's, there'll be circumstances and times that life is out of control. How about we don't see a purpose? When there's a purpose, we can work hard, we can drive, we can go and, and work toward that finish line no matter what hurdle, what trial, right? What amount and level of strength and energy that it's gonna, it takes to get us there. But there's a purpose and we can overcome the challenges to accomplish that purpose. Grieving a loss. We've come through a season where many of us You've had great grief, great loss. You've done something terribly wrong. You've, right, made a mistake. You've sinned greatly. You've hurt others. It's another cause of hopelessness. Been deeply wounded by another. Right? We're fallen beings trying to trust in a Savior. Yet when we turn from Him, when we lose hope ourselves, we do have the capacity to do horrible things. Feeling defeated or fearful. And you're not alone. I'm not alone. Right? Some of the times when we look back on our lives, it's these times that have brought us closer to our Savior, our Redeemer. Right? Part of 
my testimony is the fact of having appendicitis. Laying there in the hospital, completely unable to even have the energy to think on being healthy again. Yet, you know, my wife, my family, those that love me are surrounding you, pouring into you. The medical staff. And I remember, it was like it was the fourth night, finally, the fever broke and, and all the infections started to be chased out by the treatment and the medication that's going. And you're like, wow, I think I can make it. So we can be so defeated, so out of strength and energy. And it's in that time that you realize that you have no control. And you can fully surrender it to the one who does. There's certainly disappointment of investments that go bad or making mistakes. The initial part of my testimony is as a teenager, being brought up in a Christian home, you know, and being taught the commandments, being expected to live them out. And prior to knowing that I know that I know, trying to accomplish and be obedient to those commands on my own, only to find myself failing again and again and again and again to the point of, I'm going to give up hope. Why try to live this life in a way that I cannot? It's impossible to me. And then the Lord opened up this scripture to me, revealing himself in his grace, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. For he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's by his power. It doesn't matter how poor I am, how weak I am. When I, continue, when I surrender that to him, it is then his strength that picks us up and gives us the power to stand, to walk, to proclaim his name. His grace is sufficient for you. When I came to that reality that I cannot do it, I'm too weak, through Christ, the power of his Holy Spirit made me victorious. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, writes, Grace means, means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God could possibly love. Can we receive that? Can we be able to walk in that identity that we are his child, joint heirs adopted into the family of God. Which then brings us to the text that I wanted to cover on 
First Peter here. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Is this, or sorry, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the, his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter begins here with a praise, a short praise, a doxology, if you want to call it. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again. Now this idea of being born again, we were brought up in the King James, begotten of God. I've been born again. No longer am I left wallowing there in my defeat and in the, in the fact that I'm weak and unable to attain, but I've been born again to a living hope. Hope is so essential. It's just part of a man's character. It's a thing that will continue to keep us going, right? A lot of times we would just give up, except that there's a hope that things are going to turn. There's a hope that just over this next hurdle, this next challenge, there's a hope that, you know, the next time we get together, that relationship can be restored. Whatever it is that we're looking to experience change in. So we hang on, we continue on. The disciples had come to hope in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, right? When they saw the miracles that he did, when they heard the teachings that he taught, they had become convinced that, yes, this is the Messiah. And when Jesus asked the disciples at Caesarea Philippi, who do you say that I am? Peter, the author of this text, immediately said, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father. And then this, had, this was all the more confirmed. They believed and were convinced beyond a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? But the cross changed those things. From the beginning... They did not understand how the Messiah would come to suffer 
and to die. They took those scriptures that talked about him reigning, about him setting up his kingdom, right? They had now walked with him. They had listened to his teaching. They had saw the healings, the miracles that he performed. And they knew, without a doubt in their minds, that he was beginning his reign. They would even argue amongst themselves who was going to be the greatest in this kingdom. They'd already been selected. Here was his disciples, right? I'm going to do this job. I'm going to have this role. Right? The mother of James and John came in and asked for a favor. Right? Can you put my sons right here on your right side? Right? They were looking forward and marching forward in full faith, believing that that kingdom was being established and built right there. And whenever Jesus would talk to them about his impending death, they'd get upset. When Jesus started t- talking about it just after Peter said, you're the Messiah, right? Peter immediately rebuked him. said, Lord, be it far from thee. They did not understand the place of the cross in this redemption until after the resurrection. So during those days when Jesus was crucified, when he was dead, they died, right? Hope died. They were shattered. And we get see the story of of the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. Completely shattered, grieving, without hope. And Jesus comes down and he addresses them and asks them as he walks beside them, says, what is this conversation you're having? Why are you so down and out and sad? What's happened? And they turned to him and said, you must be a stranger here. If you don't know the things that have been going on lately here in Jerusalem. And he asked them again, what things? What are you talking about? And they then tell him about this Jesus of Nazareth, a man that was mighty in word and in deed, a man that went about doing good, healing the sick, and how they had hoped that he would be the Messiah, the salvation of Israel. But they crucified him. They killed him. This is, we had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped that he was the deliverer. But they killed him. And hope was dead. Jesus' response was, oh, fools and slow of heart, haven't you read the scriptures? And he began to, again, reteach them. All the scriptures from Moses throughout the Old Testament that would expound and refer to the suffering and the death of the Messiah. And when they came to Emmaus, Jesus acted like he was going to continue walking on. And they begged him, no, no. Come in with us. It's getting late. And as they, as he did, and they sat down and broke bread, they recognized 
who he was. Their eyes were open. And he, it says he disappeared. He, he went up. And they said, oh, didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke the word of God? We should have known. And what was their response? They ran all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples to share with them that Jesus is risen indeed. We had hoped and hope was dead. And here Peter is saying, thank God, blessed be the God who out of his great mercy has caused us to be born again. The hope was dead and we've been born again. But now it's a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the hope that we have today is a living hope. The basis of our hope in eternal life. The basis of our hope for the kingdom of God is the fact that Jesus Christ had died and has risen from the dead. That's the foundation of what we stand on and we have today. Jesus has not been raised from the dead. Had Jesus, sorry, not been raised from the dead, there wouldn't be any church, any basis of a Christian church or a reason or purpose to to gather here today. But his resurrection has made that hope more than just a hope. It's alive. It's well. It's living. Today we have it as a result of the resurrection from the dead, but more than that, it's a hope of an inheritance that is ours as sons, daughters, and children of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Paul, in his prayer for the Ephesians, prays that you might know what is the hope of their calling. Do you know what is the hope that God has for you in the future? Do you know the inheritance that God has for you? The plans that God has for your eternal future? Do you know the glories of dwelling with him forever and ever and ever in his kingdom? That's Paul's prayer. Oh, that you might know what is the hope of your calling, a living hope. And Peter writes, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Interesting enough, right? This Bible tells us that there's a sovereignty of God in the work that he has accomplished. Yet it reconciles it that there's a responsibility that we as men have. And often we try to follow that with some logical path or some way that we can accomplish it. But, but Peter is telling us that God is sovereign and that you have been elected through God's foreknowledge to be set apart by the Holy Spirit, cleansed from his sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been caused again by God unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what your role in that is? To believe it. Believe that he has accomplished it all. And he's done it for you. That there's an inheritance waiting for you. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. And it will fade, not away. It's reserved. Has your name on it. Reserved in heaven and kept 
by the power of God. Right? We try to swear on something else. But there's no greater power to trust in, to put our faith in, our stamp on, than that power of God. Verse 5 says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed at that last time. That's our, that's our part. To believe it. To know that you know that you know that God's done all the work. He didn't leave anything else for us to do. We would screw it up like we screw everything else up, right? No, he has accomplished it. He's done the work. Believe in the work that God has done. The disciples in, in Jesus' day asked, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God. Just believe on him who he sent. And that's Jesus Christ. So God has done the work. God's part. All of this is God's part. And then he finally gets to ours. Through faith, believe and trust that that work is complete. Peter in verse 6 then says, in, you, in this you rejoice, Peter continues the doxology, as if unable to contain himself. I rejoice at the work of God on my behalf. I rejoice in the inheritance that I have. I rejoice in that hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. The living hope because he has risen from the dead. And I rejoice in it. But he reminds us that though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, we've experienced our share. Right? Peter speaks about your rejoicing greatly in a future, though at the present, you're going through some pretty heavy stuff, difficult times. But know this, that the trial of your faith is actually more precious than gold. For, for gold perishes when it's tried by fire. That your faith might be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So these are all purifying experiences for us. This season that you may be going through now, and God so often uses these trials as purging or purifying instruments in our lives. As a fire that burns out the dross, refined and purified. God allows us to go through these trials. The trial of your faith is really more valuable than the gold that perishes. Though your faith be tried with fire, the purpose of God is that it might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. So we are in much the same condition as these to whom Peter is writing. We've not seen Jesus, yet we love him. 
we rejoice in this hope, in this inheritance, in this eternal life of salvation with a joy that's indescribable. I cannot describe to you the joy that is in my heart. I don't have the words to explain it. Don't have the vocabulary that can capture it. But it is a great joy, happiness. It is an identity that I'm a child of God. And as Peter says, it's a joy indescribable and it's full of his glory. If verse 9 says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the, salvations, the salvation of your soul. And that's where our faith is going to ultimate. It's in that salvation, the faith that is tried, a life that can be, will be taken through fiery trials so that my faith may appear when Christ is revealed. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the receiving salvation of our souls. That is the hope that we speak of when we say hope is here. God is here. As the, I'd like to invite the praise team to come up and they close with just a couple of scriptures on this from, from hope. So if they can make their way up, we'll close with Romans 5, 2 and 5. I didn't actually tell the board, but the sound, the screen. But through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has given to us. And Romans 15 says, and Isaiah, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for that redemptive work that you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for making us sons, daughters, your children. Thank you for giving us an inheritance and a home with you forever and ever in eternity. May you be praised in Jesus' name.